0: Today's episode is brought to you by the Stevens Center for Family Business, whose mission is to support the success of family businesses through the generations with education, networking, and
1: collaboration. This is now 1980. Things really changed for us. Yes, they did. Now, it may not seem like a lot, but at the time, they gave us the state of Michigan to supply. Our business
0: transformed. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Total Michigan, where we interview ordinary Michiganders doing some pretty extraordinary things. I'm your host, Cliff DuVenois. So today I'm in the very up and coming city of Saginaw. I I love talking uh, to family businesses and family business uh, owners and their stories to me are just so compelling, and there seems to be just this recurring theme lately with a lot of the episodes I've been doing, which we're going to talk about later on today. Uh, but what this company did started from very humble beginnings and is literally now playing in an international stage. Ladies and gentlemen, I am coming to you from the headquarters of Housebeck Pickles and Peppers with the uh, president, uh, Tim Houseback. Tim, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, Cliff. I'm very honored to be part of your show today. Excellent. Thank you for being here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up? Our plant is here located in 1626 Hess in Saginaw, Michigan. My parents, their first home, I'm number five of seven kids, was literally across the street, four homes across the street (laughs) from here. And actually, in the hallway, there's a picture of my dad holding me, and in the driveway, and in the background is where we're located. But there wasn't a pickle company back then. There was actually a company that made wooden rulers. Many of us might have in our toolbox a Lufkin brand ruler, tape measure. Well, they had a plant here in Saginaw. Now it's a pickle plant. So I I think I remember when you talk about one of these, is it one
0: of those ones that like unfolds almost? Yeah, remember
1: those wooden rulers back then? Yeah. So there was a large foundry here or or plant that made wooden rulers. (laughs) And that was part of the first industry in Michigan or in Saginaw was the lumber industry. We have a tank yard, a fermentation yard on the other side of the river, a mile and a half, two miles as a crow flies. Before that was a pickle facility, it was a toothpick factory. You know, you got all this lumber. And what do you do with the pieces that aren't being made to make homes or buildings? Well, we made toothpicks out of the scraps. <laughs> Man, we could spend an hour just talking about
0: that right there. But we got to talk about pickles. We got to talk about All right. you. Okay. Uh, so you grew up here in
1: Saginaw. Yes. Did you go to college? Yes. Where'd you go? I uh, first went to Delta Community College, followed my older brothers and my older siblings. And again, number f- number five of seven kids. And then after that, I followed in the same path, didn't even apply anywhere else, but Michigan State. There you go. So go green. Go green. What did you, <laughs> what did you study while you were there? Finance. Finance. Why, why finance? You know, when you come out of high school, a lot of times you don't know what you want to do. And I'm just like, not untypical than others, a counselor said, hey, this might be something good. I, you know, that, you you know, you just sort of, I tried, uh, I thought maybe I wanted to be an engineer. Physics and chemistry was a little too much for me to really be, (laughs) I knew that that wasn't going to be for me. Right. I liked economics. So I just went into business. And and at at one point in time, I thought I might want to be a stockbroker. So I followed finance. I did an internship at a Merrill Lynch between my junior and senior year of college. Did not like that work so i still stuck with my degree and i found that sales was best for me oh interesting yeah well so what i want to do
0: is i want to put a pin in that right now okay because as you're growing up as you're going to college house Beck pickles yes is
1: going in the background was it started by your grandparents Yes, and actually we're celebrating our 100th anniversary this year.
0: Happy birthday. <laughs>
1: Thank you. It was founded in 1923 in a, on M13, which is just outside the city limits of Saginaw. Uh, we were there for 80 years, very small facility. We were landlocked, so as we were trying to grow, we couldn't go any, you know, there was no place to expand. So mm. We found this property where we are sitting on four city blocks. That we can control and expand. But back then, it was founded by my grandfather, Charles, and his wife, Rose Housebeck. Did you you ever learn the reason why they decided to go into the pickling business? It was the Great Depression. And there wasn't a lot of work. So they knew a little bit about making pickles. So there was literally just a few people that were fermenting small cucumbers in barrels, 50-gallon wooden barrels, which actually... The interesting thing there, where they got their barrels from were from distilleries. Oh, I did not know that. So they would unload these barrels. And what the main item we made back then was you would take fresh cucumbers and put them in this 50-gallon barrel with brine with a lot of dill weed. Yes. And so they were called Genuine Dills. And they were a big hit back then. And they were drop shipped to different tiny corner grocery stores all over the state of Michigan. But interesting thing about these distilled barrels, uh, I hope I don't get in trouble because I did do it, but (laughs) back then they would take these barrels and there would still be some whiskey. They'd put them in the sun and let them dry out. Maybe they should have just fermented pickles in whiskey barrels and that would have been something, you know, it had maybe a bourbon taste to them, but but Uh they'd actually get one or two quarts of whiskey out of these barrels. and, And again, it was prohibition and uh, I was just going to ask People had that. access to liquor.
0: Because I'm sure the statute of limitations, as yeah. long as <laughs> so nobody's going to come and arrest you today. <laughs> so initially, it, it was your grandparents started making pickles, putting them in jars, and
1: then sending them out to grocery stores. Yes. Uh, my dad, uh, who's no longer with us, lived to be 93. He's been gone six years. He would go with his father on this these old-style steak trucks to the, around the state. They'd spend a weekend dropping Cases of pickles off at these little corner, tiny grocery stores that we all used to have. We don't, and it wasn't like the big stores that we have today, whether it be a Kroger or Meyer or what have you, but tiny little corner markets.
0: And then the company gets up and running. Yes. Things are going. Rather unexpectedly,
1: your grandfather passed. Yeah. First big challenge to our 100-year company. I mean, it could have folded right then and there. The founder dies leaving his wife and six kids behind so what did she do well some of her oldest sons were part of the business so and she had someone helping her so they kept trudging on trying to do what they did I, again fortunately they had she had two older boys that were probably around 18 years old at the time good that were able to at least carry on but it could have could have ended right then and there and then you know the next challenge came along is world war ii so now she, we lose half our workforce going off to either World War II or the Korean War. Sweet Moses. Yeah. So now you're left with, a, again, a skeleton crew
0: once again. Now, how long did your grandmother and the two, the
1: two sons, I think you said, how long did they run the company? After like, my father and two of my uncles came back from World War II and Korean War, they, they started helping out with their mother again. And it was somewhere in the mid-70s that she turned over the ownership and control of the company wow. to four of her sons. So she was involved with the business from the very beginning,
0: yes. in 23, yes. and ran it until the mid-70s. That's 50 years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Even back when I was young, growing up in the business, phone calls. So my grandparents' house were right behind the plant. And so phone calls would actually come through my grandmother and she would, she was the secretary, if you or the, you know, person answering calls, and then she would transfer them to the plant if someone needed to talk to someone else. <laughs> there's a memory for you. Yeah. It was interesting. You said you, she transferred
0: it to your father and three of the other brothers? Yes. Okay. So there's four of them now that are Gone. basically running the business. Yeah. Oh yes. At yes, that time. Yes. Right. Yes. Now. If we fast forward a little bit, you've now graduated from college. What made you decide
1: to get into the family business? Well, I have to back up a little bit more than that. Working in the family business with my siblings, my cousins, a lot of hard work for minimum wage. And it was my generation that was the first generation to, to actually get college degrees. So there was a lot more opportunities for everybody else to go elsewhere. So I, it was my brother Joe, who's the other owner, who's 70, received his degree in food science from Michigan State. He was actually the first one to come back after getting a degree. He helped a lot by what he took and what was learned. There was a lot of research being done on fermentation and how to improve quality and yield. So he took a lot of these things that were being done in the 60s and 70s, he graduated in 1976, and was able to start implementing these things in our fermentation process, which started improving quality and our yield. So then back to me, I wasn't part of the company after I graduated. I was out working for a couple different companies for a couple years and not really thinking about the family business. But as I matured, got a little bit older, I'm like, you know what? I think I can come back and make the company better as well. Just like my brother, Joe. So when you talk about making the company better, did you have some ideas when you were coming back? Like already? Not initially. Okay. But I had a desire. I didn't have any visions at the moment. But I felt that you know I knew how to do things. They were starting to grow. Uh, this is now 1992. Uh, we had, had been supplying Burger King since 1980. That was our first fast food uh, facility or fa- fast food customer that we've ever had. And we still are with Burger King today. But the company was still quite small. You had seven employees. And I knew how to do everything. Wait but- a minute. You still had seven employees in 92? Yeah, there was only still a handful of employees. Oh, sweet Moses. Yeah. Now, in the summertime, you might have, you know, 10 season employees that would help you through a pack season. But again, most of the year, seven people. And uh, four of those were the owners. And how many employees do you have today? A 100. 100. Year round. So you've grown. Yes, we we will still, now in in the summertime, when we're at our grading operation and a little bit here at our production, we will bring on about another 100 employees for two to three months. So between 92 with seven employees and 2023, yes, that's a tenfold increase. Yes. I never wanted to grow to where we have 1,000 employees. My philosophy has been, and still is today, that through automation, I don't want 1,000 people making minimum wage. I'd rather have 100 people making a living wage. And for our audience, we're gonna take a quick break and thank our sponsors. When
0: we come back, we're gonna talk about how all of these skills have come together to put Houseback Pickles on the international stage. We'll see you after the break. The Stevens Center for Family Business supports the success of family-owned businesses throughout the Great Lakes region of Michigan. It provides a wealth of resources that family-owned businesses can access to leverage the unique and strengths that are inherent to the family-owned enterprise. The center provides educational opportunities about managing the often complicated combination of family and business. Members attend networking events where family leaders can share their experiences, learn from one another, drawing on experts from around the country. The center also focuses on topics and issues that are unique to family business. This includes maintaining family harmony, succession planning, preparing the next generation, conflict resolution governance, family dynamics, policy development, company culture, and on and on. Regardless of the size of the family business or the number of years in your history, the Stevens Center for Family Business is a valuable resource for helping to secure the ongoing legacy of your multi-generational family business. The Stevens Center for Family Business, where networking and knowledge meet to support the success of family-owned businesses. For more information, please go to svsu.edu slash scfb or contact Casey Stevens at 989-964-2776. Hello everyone and welcome back to Total Michigan where we interview ordinary Michiganders doing some pretty extraordinary things. I'm your host Cliff DuVinois. Today we're talking with Tim Housebeck from Housebeck Pickles and Peppers, out of Saginaw, Michigan. One of the things that you mentioned before was landing Burger King as a client. Your little pickle company with seven employees servicing Burger King, sweet Moses. So your dad wins his contract. I guess my question, my first question is what in the world made him think that your pickle place here in Saginaw could
1: support a major franchise? My dad was a middle child, and he was very charismatic, but he, w- he was the, the, our first salesperson. So this is back in the mid to late 70s that he was actually going and talking to local franchisees of both McDonald's and Burger King's. So we were actually just taking a truck. Like those corner grocery stores I mentioned, he was drop shipping pails of pickles off to small or local McDonald's and Burger King's. There we go. We were actually doing well with that. But as McDonald's and Burger King's, which were still somewhat in their infancy, they became a little bit more professional. Or if you will, as they were growing, they realized they can't have all these franchisees buying whatever they want. They need to consolidate the purchasing. Yes, because a Whopper needs to taste the same, whether it's in Detroit, Michigan, or Los Angeles, California. That is correct. We actually, these stores told us. We, they couldn't buy from us anymore. So this is like 1976, 78. And we were just starting to do well with them. And this was, you know, good revenue for a small company. And I remember that year, you know, it was a lean year. I was in middle school and losing some of these local stores that we were starting to count on uh, was a big challenge for us. It, it hurt financially. Thank goodness for a franchisee that was located in, in, in Lansing, Michigan, his name is Norm Spaulding, was a large franchisee or was growing as a large franchisee for Burger King. His store in Lansing was the number one store in Michigan. And we owe a lot to Norm Spaulding. It was he. Shout out to Norm. Yeah, it was he <laughs> that said, I don't like the pickles that I'm told to buy. I like these Housebeck branded pickles. So Burger King, he was a big enough franchisee. That they listened to him. They listened to him and they approved us as a supplier. This is now 1980. Things really changed for us. Yes, they did. Now, it may not seem like a lot, but they at the time, they gave us the state of Michigan to supply. Our business transformed. Just supplying the whole state of Michigan was a large hurdle to overcome. So let's put this in a little bit of perspective because yeah.
0: you say the state of Michigan, yeah. but there could have been like three Burger Kings. Well, no, there were probably 100 stores. Okay. Oh, so that is huge. Yeah, that, that is, is huge. huge. Yeah.
1: Taking probably using three, four pails of pickles a week, or pa- yeah, pails of pickles a week. And you times that, that's a lot of pails for us to deliver or to produce. Yes. now it didn't I- leave a lot of time to do some of the other things like the retail items we were making was this one of those
0: situations where like your dad goes out puts out this bid says we can do it Burger King says yeah we'll give you the state of Michigan he says awesome you guys celebrate and then all of a sudden like how are we going to do this <laughs> was it was it one of those it was
1: yeah yeah I mean a lot of you know that was part of what coming back is they were working five days a week to just to supply one major customer now at the other time we were actually supplying Meyer Thrifty Acres with and other smaller chains of grocery stores with our retail items and we we would package all those up for the most part in the summer and into the fall. But the rest of the year was just supplying Burger King. And Burger King, like many other quick service restaurants like McDonald's, were growing at 40% a year, where our, re- our grocery store stuff was very flat. Sure. And in, in, in some ways shrinking, uh, because that section on the shelves were starting to shrink. I think my biggest... The thing that I was able to offer when I came back to the company is you see this growth. It was pretty obvious that fast food chains were continuing to grow. I was able to convince my, now it was just my dad, my brother Joe, and my dad's youngest brother, Richard, were the owners. And I was able to convince them that we should really focus on more fast food chains. And, and perhaps I even said we should probably leave retail behind. My dad said we needed to have some market research done. So we found a company out of Midland and they did a bunch of market research, which basically supported what I was already offering. So they had evidence behind it. And so that's what we started doing. We started calling on other fast food chains and slowly but surely pulled away from retail.
0: Well, I think another part of this puzzle, too, is that if you get comfortable with just having a Burger King, which is probably a large portion of your income. Yes. If Burger King decides one day, you know what, we don't like pickles anymore. You guys are out the door. Correct. Then, you know, 80% of your revenue just evaporated. Correct. Overnight. So it almost makes sense that like, you know what, we need to find more clients like a Burger King and move forward
1: and get them. So we're not, if so, if we lose one, we're okay. Yes. Very hard to do. One, because our company was very conservative with regards to debt, and we didn't have any debt. My my dad and his brothers all grew up in the Great Depression, so you didn't spend- Debt it. is evil, yes. yes <laughs> you didn't huh? I, on the other hand, was different. <laughs> so I didn't th- have trouble borrowing money and spending it <laughs> to increase capacity. <laughs> That's right, because
0: you're an 80s kid. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about this here, because you brought this up,
1: and you talk about, we need to find more Burger Kings. There's even another challenge. So we're doing a good job for Burger King, and they want more and more and more, and they want to give us more states. Oh, really? So now you're also trying to keep up with this capacity just growing still. The problem is getting worse where you're your sole source or your one customer now is representing over 90% of your revenue, and they want to keep giving you more. So times are good, but you need to diversify. Yeah. So Burger King comes back to you and says,
0: you guys are doing a bang-up job. Yes. Michigan's covered. We love you. Did they say, here's Indiana, or did they say, here's the eastern half of the U.S.? How did that work? In between. Like, here's the upper Midwest we want to give you. Oh, sweet Moses.
1: Right. Now, how much lead time did they give you to be able to do that? Usually the contracts are based on one year at a time. So typically, six months notice. Now, there's a lot that has to go around that. I mean, first of all, you got to have enough fermentation space. These are all fermented pickles. And then there's the whole fermentation process, which you need tanks to store them in. And then you got to go out to your farmers. So when it comes to the food business, ramping up Finding more acres, more farmers to plant more cucumbers for you. you got to have the storage to hold them and ferment them in. Those processes, even though they may want to give you business, you have to just plan for it. Even though they may give you six months, it still takes a year to two years of planning. So we knew that it was happening. So we kept increasing our capacity as we could. So we always were ahead of the game a little bit. We never took on more than what we could handle. When you first started out, Houseback, you made a comment about being landlocked.
0: Oh, you you right. really couldn't yes. get more land to get to, to build a bigger facility versus where we are
1: today. So was was it about this time? No, this would have been around two thousand three to two thousand five. Oh, that, okay. That we you know we needed to expand more. Our customers were going Now in two thousand one, I, I want to just. That's what we started supplying Subway. So that volume, they were a a large QSR, and they weren't just buying pickles. They were buying now jalapeno peppers and banana peppers. They actually came to us in 1996 to supply them, but at the time we didn't know anything about how how to make a jalapeno. uh, Because yours pickles. Yeah, and again, we didn't know where to source them. We were able to play around with it, but the opportunity came back around in 2001 because Subway was growing so fast. They needed to expand their supply base. Because in addition to Subway, it's Taco Bell, it's
0: Chick-fil-A, Domino's, Pizza Hut, and the list goes on and on of all of these fast food chains that have come to you and said, we need pickles, we need jalapenos, we need banana peppers, we need,
1: and you're able now to provide it. Yes, to give you a little bit of scale, out of Saginaw, Michigan right here, we ship out on average around 60 semis a week going out between Canada and the U.S. Oh, sweet Moses. Yeah. Conservatively, if you assume that it, the pizza places that we supply, if you want a jalapeno or banana pepper on your pizza at one of those chains I mentioned, there's a good chance it's coming from housepec And assuming that there's a large pizza serves four meals, I would say, and but you add up how many slices they might put on a burger, a chicken sandwich, Subway, a deli-style sandwich, we're on over a billion meals a year between Canada and the United States. Okay, so let's go. it's a big number. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: it, it, well, yeah, it is a big number, but I just, I, I, uh, I admire it. Why did you choose to stay in Saginaw versus
1: go out in the middle of like nowhere where you could get land, probably a lot cheaper. I was thinking ab- about leaving Saginaw. We're in a peninsula state and all these trucks are coming up out of the main arteries of uh, thoroughfare. So I actually started looking at properties in Southern Michigan, Northern Ohio, Northern Indiana. Uh, I actually found a site that was pretty good in Northern Indiana around Angola. But then again, I started thinking, you know, this particular site came up and Back in the 20s, on the eastern edge of this four-city block, Heinz had a small operation. Oh. One of the problem, problems of moving into a new area is not everybody wants to rezone land to have a pickle company. And then I also thought about the synergies of not having any, this is where our roots are and no one would have to move, and you start this plant while we're still running the other plant, and they're only a mile away from each other, so employees aren't being put out if they're having to work at one plant versus the next. I think, in hindsight, we might have failed moving to another facility and trying to operate out of, two peop- out of two different areas. Sure. And one of the things that I
0: would like to cover is that you, know, you join the company, things are expanding. At some point, you stepped up to be the president and CEO of Houseback Pickles, talk to us about that journey
1: there. How did you do that? It's hard to remember exactly how that came down. I just know that when I was invited to be an owner, my brother Joe, who's the other owner, was running this tank yard. He actually left for a short period of time, and it was 1996. My brother wanted to buy this tank yard that was owned by Velasic Pickle, that's on the other side, on the west side of, this, uh, of Saginaw. And uh, my father and my uncle didn't want anything to do with it. It was a lot of work. They were late in their careers. They didn't want to invest in this thing. I thought it was an interesting opportunity. So my brother didn't want to pass on it. So he left Houseback Pickle to go start this company. It was called Custom Foods. So now I was left behind. And, and again, we were we had maybe 20 people at the time. And, you know, I was just thrust into this leadership position where my brother had been filling that role. He then ran this fermentation yard. We became one of his customers. So he was running that. Uh, and then our company started growing with Subway and other organizations. I was running sales. I was running production, overseeing all the departments. And my dad just had decided that I'd proven to be a good leader. He crowned me the next president, CEO.
0: Tim, if somebody's listening to this and they want to check out more about Houseback Pickles, maybe find you guys online, what would be the best way for them to do that? Houseback.com gives you everything you need to know. And we're also on Facebook. Tim, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us today. I really appreciate it. And this is one of those interviews I'd love to sit here and pick your brain all day. But thank you so much
1: for taking time to chat with us today. Cliff, thank you for this time. And it was a very much as much of an honor to be here today. And so thank you.
0: And for our audience, you can always roll on over to TotalMichigan.com and click on Tim's interview and get the links that he mentioned above. We'll talk to you next week when we talk to another Michigander doing some pretty extraordinary things. We'll see you then.